Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am sitting here with Alexandra Kirkendall. Her name, her last name, I got to say, is spelled K-U-Y-K-E-N-D-A-L-L. In case you are looking for her, I want to make sure you can find the right Alexandra. Um, She is the author of Loving My Actual Life, Loving My Actual Christmas, Loving My Actual Neighbor, and also, I love these titles, uh, the author, artist daughter, and she's also the co-host of the Open Door Sisterhood podcast. She is a popular writer, speaker for moms across the country. Uh, she's been featured on Good Morning America and Focus on the Family's daily broadcast, and she lives in Denver, Colorado, with her husband, Derek, and their four daughters. Now, that's the official Alexandra bio, but I just want to say uh, she is a warm, compassionate soul who I think would just say, you know, she is, um, as her book title from years past says, she's someone who really does want to explore what it looks like to love her actual life and just to really write about the things that she is experiencing in her life. And that I deeply relate to that. Um, she doesn't know this, but I actually read Oh, <laughs> loving my actual life. I just pulled out the copy of the book years ago uh, when it came out and it deeply resonated with me as somebody who was in a place where I think I, I don't know how I came across it, but I was like, I am somebody who does not love my actual mm-hmm. life. Help me. So this for me is a really fun full circle moment to be able to have a conversation with her. So Alexandra, welcome to Ready to Thrive. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm glad to know that you liked loving my actual life. Cause really everything I write or talk about it, it stems from that sentiment of loving the life that's right in front of us and not wishing things away. So good. Uh, now I just want to find out a little bit more about you. So we, I talked a little bit, a little bit about that in your bio, but, um, how did you get into this writing world and where did that all begin for you? Yeah, I was not a person who wanted to be a writer or a speaker or, you know, maybe in front of people, but only if there's a purpose behind it. Like I'm not a, I know people, and I don't say this maliciously, but I know people who love being in the spotlight and I'm just not one of those people. Um, But I worked and felt very called to work for a ministry that's based here in Denver called Mops International, which is Mothers of Preschoolers. And I had been part of a MOPS group here in Denver. Um, It really, really impacted me deeply. Uh, We had just moved here and I was feeling really lonely and I was put in a leadership role pretty quickly. I then, as I grew, our group went through some pretty tragic events and I was in a position to lead people through those. And so my own faith deepened intensely um, during that time. And I had some personal connections to the MOPS headquarters here in Denver, and it was just clear that that's where I was supposed to be. So I was there for about 10 years on staff, part-time. I had little kids and I kept having kids while I was there and uh, MOPS puts out lots of content. And so I was writing for them because I was in the stage of life that our audience was. And so I just started exercising that muscle a little bit. I hadn't studied writing, but I had gone to a liberal arts college. And so, you know. Writing is just something you do all the time. And so because I could, I was put in that space. And then um, we had a contract. At that time, Mops was putting out a book every year. And uh, we had a contract. We needed an author. And the opportunity was given to me. And so I wrote my first book, The Artist's Daughter, while I was on staff with Mops. And there I realized, oh, I really like this, being able to go deep into his subject. Uh, I like the process of being alone and writing. I have to say I'm a high introvert. So 
that was nice. Uh, and I have a lot to say, but more, it was, it seemed to be resonating with people. And I thought, okay, this feels like a good use of my gifts and I can do it in small pockets of time while my kids are at soccer practice, or I, I wrote loving my actual life in my car at soccer practice. I mean, that's because that's the stage of life I was in and it worked. And so that has, um, continued to be the case. And just this summer I took a part-time job. I'd been, um, so I left mops, um, because I wanted to keep writing and I realized I can't work part-time and write part-time because that's full-time and I can't do full-time with four little kids. Yeah. So, um, just the way that our family rhythm was, I knew I needed to choose. And, uh, I felt like both were good options, but God was pushing me in this direction. So anyway, I just went back to kind of the workforce this summer, but again, on a part-time basis. So, um, it, it has worked out, um, beautifully. So cool. Well, I didn't know any of that. I love hearing people's stories because they're all so unique. And also I just, I want to unpack for people for a minute, um, that again, Alexandra's sharing her story in like five seconds here. Like it's mm -hmm. just such a snippet, but in that process was kind of like, it was so many little decisions and even just following some of these God nudges or even problems, right? Like one of the problems she first had was moving to a new city and being lonely. And if you say, oh, so moving to a new city, being lonely has that meant you're now an author, right? Like it's, there's so many little steps along the way. And so whether you're listening and you find yourself feeling like you are in a problem, um, you never know a, what's going to come out of the other side of that, but just continuing to kind of follow those God nudges to say, Hey, I'm going to apply for this job here. Or I know this person here, I'm going to check this out, or I could fill that and not letting the I'm not educated in this. I didn't go to school for this. Nobody has given me a title for this. Like all those things that kind of hold us back. I just love that um, it's such a cool way that God brought you into this world that you weren't necessarily looking for, um, but that he He used the gifts and talents and skills that you had. And, and my guess is along the way, you were just open to saying, okay, God, here I am. Yes, that's exactly right. And I mean, the truth is I had to also do some discerning because like choosing what part-time route am I going to go? What works best for my family and surrendering to God and saying, okay, God, you know, all the things that are stressing me out right now, you know about them, but you have a longer, long view than I do. So help me with clarity, because even though some things may be felt more natural, I didn't want to fall into them just because they were comfortable or because my own vision, limited vision could picture it. Um, it's funny that you say that because uh, just recently, our oldest daughter was talking about something that's been hard in her life recently. And she said, why is this happening? And my husband said, you might not know for 10 years. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so wise. But you just don't know sometimes why something is happening until you have that clarity years later. And even now, like sometimes I pull on something that was from years ago and think, wow, I had no idea that there would be an additional purpose to that, whatever that was uh, today. So good. Um, well, as the podcast listeners probably know, I've recently launched this mentorship group for moms um, called Mama Get Your Life Back. And so much of it comes out of where I was at five years ago in this place of overwhelm, not loving my actual life, and um, just the place that God really brought me through that place of overwhelm, anxiety, depression, etc. Never would I have thought like, oh, one day you're going to rally women around, like pour into women with this this mess that has become a message. And so um, even in those hard places, I love that he, I think he really does have purpose in it, which again, we may not see for years, may never see, um, but we can kind of trust that he's not wasting the things that we're going through and he's continuing, continuing to form us. Um, I also want to say, I love that you wrote 
that book in your minivan. Um, and there was a woman I had on here a while back who actually wrote her first fiction novel while nursing a baby. She wrote it in the notes on her phone. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes are waiting for all of the things to be perfect. I mean, you think about the writing world and you imagine going on this to this cabin somewhere or you just get to be by yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but really so much of the things that we feel like God is calling us to happen in these little cracks, especially as moms, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have these little pieces. So I found that personally very encouraging. Um, and I want to find out uh, from you where this latest book has come from. And I actually didn't even mention that as I started uh, your intro. So I apologize for that. Can you tell me again the name of your latest book? And uh, I want to find out where that kind of came from. Yes, it is uh, Seeking Out Goodness, Finding the True and Beautiful All Around You. And really, you know, because you've brought up my past books, my books all kind of interweave into similar themes of contentment and seeing where God is at work and joining him where he's at work and uh, loving people around us. Sometimes that's difficult to do. And the, how do we do that? So this part practical, part inspirational that we talk about on um, the Open Door Sisterhood podcast that is what I try to do in my writing too, to give the why and then give the how. And what I noticed a few years ago, uh, before I wrote my last book, Loving My Actual Neighbor, uh, was that we seem to be missing each other in the world, that we seem to be maybe trying kind of to love our neighbors, but when things got hard or uncomfortable, we would start to back away because we would get nervous or overwhelmed. And so I wrote that book specifically around, you know, how do you practically love the people that are not in your immediate circle, but within arm's reach? And that need hasn't gone away. <laughs> and so this book is a little bit of a, uh, another take on seeking out um, where what is good. And so I was trying to kind of peel away the layers, like what would what at the core would help us love God and love others more right now? And there's a little bit of a defeatist feeling these days, right? Like it's just too much. It's just too hard. We are, as Christians, life is too hard for us right now. And, and I get that because it does feel harder than maybe it has been in my lifetime. And people have gone through hard things before in history, right? We just have to open our Bibles to know that we're not the first people to have gone through something hard. So like a pandemic, like hard conversations, like hard decisions, people have had to do that and God didn't leave them and he has not left us. And so to remember that God hasn't left us, okay, it's a good starting place. Then how do we find him? And I think if we look for what is good in the world, as we're going down these trails and trying to investigate and maybe pick a thread and kind of follow it along, we are going to get closer and closer to God, the deeper we get into what is good. Now, it's not always pure, right? Uh, because we live in a fallen world. But if something is good, it means that it has hints of the good God who created the world, of his good creation. So I talk about um, the meta story and the micro story in the book. So the meta story, the big story of humanity is that God created, he called it good. So there was creation. Then the fall happened. We people kind of messed things up. And so there was separation. Jesus came to unify us back together and that is uh, reconciliation. And then he, he is working to make all things new. And that's redemption. And so that's, that is the big story of God working in the world with people. And we're still in that process on the micro level. We see that pattern repeated over and over in our own lives. Sometimes we don't see it immediately, like we were talking earlier. Like sometimes it just feels like we're in the part of the fall of our story, but 
with each little pocket of experiences, we can start looking for that pattern. And when we do, we start seeing that there is good, that God is working in our story, in other people's stories, in the world. And so that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. Then the question became, how? Right? Because like that's a nice big theory to have that God is still at work and we can look for him. But what if I'm overwhelmed with the headlines? What if I'm overwhelmed with the conflict in my family or um, not being able to see my family because of COVID? Or what if I'm just overwhelmed with the hard stuff that people had, were dealing with in 2019, like cancer and job loss and um, infertility? What if that is so overwhelming that I can't really recognize that God is good, that just feels trite to me, then this is where I think the book comes in because I wanted to give people really specific things to look for and then how to look for them when it feels like, yeah, I know that maybe is out there, but how, how do I see what is honorable right now? How do I honor other people when I don't agree with them. And I actually find them a little bit offensive. How do I um, experience what is lovely and beautiful when my heart feels broken? And so that is kind of where the book came from. So good. Well, I think, like you said, um, the headlines are overwhelming and the conflict is overwhelming in the season that we're walking in and it can feel like it's taking us out. Like it can feel like it is. um, I know in this like March, 2020, when things first uh, started unfolding, my husband and I are not people who typically are, you know, consuming a lot of news content, but I was refreshing my newsfeed. Like I was like, I was seeking out more information. Like I was like, I need to get the information because at that point things were changing so quickly. It was like, are we all going to die right now? Or (laughs) what's it like, is it toilet paper that we're concerned with? Is it, I took my kids to a playground last week or, you know, all of those things. And there was a point where I was like, oh my goodness, I am, I, I need to, I I need to delete this actually. Cause it's even against my will, it's popping up in my face. And so, um, I love what your book is based on, Philippians 4, 8, this idea of what does it look like to seek out? And it doesn't mean our heads are buried in the sand and we don't have any information, but what does it look like to intentionally seek out those things? And even the, like some of the things you're saying, I don't want to do, I don't want to seek the good in the person who's offending me. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want to... Um, give people the benefit of the doubt or any of the, like all of those things rub against the um, naturally who I am. Mm-hmm. And this is hard. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. So why do it? Why not just mm-hmm. jump in with culture and go with the flow? Why? Why is it going to make a difference in our lives to actually seek out this goodness? If we think about what our job description is while we're here on earth, I mean, let's go, but let's go big picture. Our job description is to love God with all of who we are and to love others as ourselves. So Jesus made that clear. Now is the time when we say, okay, do we take that seriously or not? Do we regress into what feels safe and comfortable or do we push into this idea of loving God and loving others well. And for each of us, that is going to be a different experience. It's going to look tactically different to someone from the outside. It's going to be a different process internally because we are dealing with whatever we're dealing with, our own belief systems, life experience, family story, current circumstances, fears for the future. So it's going to be different for each of us. This isn't about formula. It's about process of becoming more the person that lives into the job description that God has given us, which is to love him and love others. So that's why, because I want to take my faith seriously. I want to live 
as authentic a faith as I can in front of my kids so that when they leave, they at least, they don't, may not agree with me on everything, but they at least won't be able to call me a hypocrite. That's my goal, right? Like that I'm telling people to do things that I am at least trying to do in my imperfect way of doing it. So that's, that's why. Well, I love that. Um, you know, it's interesting this past year and a half has brought with it, um, cancel culture Mm -hmm. and these other things that feel like they are, it feels easier than ever to just say, oh, you think, you think that way about that thing and you're out of here. Um, yet on the other hand, we've been home more than ever. So we've had the ability to connect with those people right around us, right? Like going back to the loving my actual neighbor, like knowing them like never before. And so it's an interesting place to be in the world where um, it almost feels like what what path do you want to choose? Like, do you want to choose the path of digging in to these places where it's hard? Like I was chatting with Alexander before that we started recording about how I live in a duplex. So that means we share walls with somebody. And before they moved in, I had my wish list of what I wanted. And when they first arrived, I was like, I'm spying out the window. Mm-hmm. What are they going to be? And I was like, no, there's a few things I could tell right away. Ah, this, that was not on my list. Like this, <laughs> this, this is does not fit my plan. No, this is going <laughs> to drive me crazy. And so, um, now f- like fast forward, probably seven years, their daughter, um, was sitting at our dinner table maybe a week or two ago. Um, cause she's such good friends with my kids and, and has gone back and forth. It was like, we had another kid back and forth through this whole, um, season. She looked up at me. She said, well, it's like, you're not, you're a second mom to me. And I was like, ah, oh, like this to go from that place of, oh, this is not what I thought I wanted. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to kind of lay some of those things down and say, I want to, I don't, instead of like, I basically we can cancel you because mm-hmm. there's some things that offend me or what does it look like to say, let's step into the uncomfortable mm-hmm. and embrace each other. And what does this look like? And I think it's, there is kind of this awkwardness in it. There's an uncomfortability in it. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. It's very uncomfortable. And so the two things I I heard that likely happened, and again, not perfectly because you're an imperfect person stumbling through this life, like the rest of us, um, that you tried to have humility. And by that, I mean, you saw that maybe there was a bigger plan playing out than you could see. It's right. It's that long. God has a longer long view than I do. Like I try to have the long view in my life. What am I living for? Who am I living for? But it's still limited. And so you said you had enough humility to say, okay, God, I am open. I'm open. Even though, you know, Lord, that there's some things on this list that don't meet my wish list. And then you were obedient. Again, I'm, I'm making some guesses here, but if you, if you're having their child over to your house for dinner, then there is a point when you said, you know what, this is a relationship that is an opportunity to fulfill my job description, which is to love God and love my neighbor, literally my neighbor. So humility and obedience, I think are the key ingredients to pushing through the hard to say, okay, now I think we should probably say when it comes to people, sometimes things are hard and they're not healthy and they're toxic. I am not saying that you should stay in a relationship the way you are in the relationship now with somebody who is unhealthy. I'm I'm also not saying that you cut somebody out just because they are unhealthy, but you have to figure out a way to love them well, while loving yourself and loving the other people you're in charge of well. 
So I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we're, as we're talking about this, we're moving towards the holidays where we see extended family a lot. And often extended family circles can be difficult because people fall back into unhealthy patterns and uh, you don't, you just kind of grit your teeth and they're like, I just need to get through this week. And then I don't have to deal with them for nine more months or whatever the thing may be. Um, I'm not saying that's true for my extended family for the record, but I just know that that is true for a lot of people. And that when we think about who are the people that God has put in my life that I didn't choose, but I continue to be in relationship with often it's extended family. And so the question is, if there's a person at the table, literal table, proverbial table, that kind of gets under your skin to ask yourself, um, how can I honor this person best while honoring God at the same time? And if I'm honoring God, I'm going to be honoring myself too, because I'm also a person made in God's image. And so how can I honor everybody? And then that starts to set up some boundaries, but usually some open doors as well. Like this there's a boundary here that I, I don't want to go outside of. And yet there's an entry point that allows me then, because we have some boundaries, I can say, but then within these boundaries, this is good. This is, this is the context. So maybe we shouldn't go rent a house together for four days. Maybe that would be a bad idea, right? Or if somebody, you know, often the holidays, people's substance issues come up, mental health things get triggered, grief is at play, often things, you know, didn't work out the way people wanted for in a relationship and the relationships being pushed back together, whatever it is, to say, okay, I'm going to look at what is. So the first section of the book is looking at what's true. And sometimes we don't want to see what's true because it's hard, but I'm going to look at what's true about what's going on here and face it. Oh, I like, it just makes me cringe even talking about it. Cause I know for some people it's the situation is so hard to say, you know, I don't know, my brother's an alcoholic or whatever it is that you just don't want to admit, but to say, okay, this is what's true how can I honor him within the context of what's true? What are the parts of him I can celebrate? What are the ways I can set our group up for success? How can I love him well and point to what's beautiful in the world right now? How can I be gracious as God has been gracious to me and not expect perfection, even though I have just like with my potential neighbor, I have a list of things I would like my brother to be. And to recognize the truth is he is not. And so I need to then lead with grace because I am not all that God might hope that I am, right? I'm a sinful person that makes, oh my gosh, all kinds of bad decisions. Yesterday, even last night, I was texting my sister-in-law kind of like, sorry, that came out a little strong earlier today. You know, like it just, we all fall short. And so to be gracious with one another because... God has been gracious to us. And then we can move forward a little bit. Well, I love that you started unpacking a little bit of the holidays because um, I think more than ever, the holidays will be a challenge this year because mm -hmm. there's been even more divisiveness. Um, one thing my husband said to me a few, few years ago, which is one of the more um, harsh things he's ever said, but like the best. Sometimes we need somebody who's going to speak truth into our lives that feels like a cold cup of water in our face. But he said, um, you have far more grace for yourself than you do for other people. And essentially it was like, I understand the context of all the things I've gone through. So if I'm arriving late for somewhere, mm -hmm. it's because I know why, because I had to do this and I stopped, like, I know all the reasons you arrive late for somewhere. I'm frustrated with you. I'm judging you. Why, why can't you get your act together? Like I, I had to begin to realize I will never know the mm -hmm. full context of where people are coming from. And so I just have to be somebody who is leading with grace without having full understanding of the complete picture. And then I know for myself going into, I love that you said basically like, how do we set ourselves up for success with boundaries? Mm -hmm. Um, because I think you can, you can wisely say, yeah, 
living in the same house together for four days like that, that might not, that might not give us the outcome we're hoping for. So what does it look like to set yourself up for success? But also what does it look like to love people where they're at without trying to change them? And I think one of the challenges we have sometimes, I know I've had, is that it's very easy for me to see the flaws in other people. Hello, Plank and Sawdust, mm-hmm. Speck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to make it my mission. And especially with family, right? It's like we get to that place and we have friends who feel like family. So that's actually where it's the, the best because we love those friends, but also we grate on each other because we're so comfortable that you you say mm-hmm. things that you would only say to family. And so um, so I had this moment a while back with some people in my life um, where I was like, oh, I just, what would it look like if I spent this time loving them, serving mm-hmm. them, caring for who they are right now and not having any kind of goal in my mind of getting them to see my side, my point, having them change. And it actually was um, very relieving Mm because it took the pressure off myself. Um, It didn't make it easier. So I can have that filter. It doesn't mean like there are certain people and situations that will grate you. And that part of setting yourself up for for success might mean how you plan the time to say, we're every afternoon, we go here just to get some space Mm -hmm. or go for a walk or whatever the thing might look like. Um, how do you set yourself up for success to, um, love people where they're at, I think is, is huge. Yeah. You touched on two things that I talk about in the book, which is believing the best in others. So that's in the section on leading with grace, right? That we, when there is a conflict to think about, okay, I'm going to believe that this person loves me or cares about me. I'm going to believe that they are trying their best with the tools that they have. And again, maybe you're in the kind of relationship where it's really clear that somebody is operating out of so much unhealth that it's damaging for you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about kind of like run of the mill conflict. Yeah. You're getting on my nerves. Why do you have to smell that way? Or why do you have to sound that way when you chew kind of moments? Right. Um, but, but also the, I liked the example of being late that I am going to believe the best in you, that you are excited to be here, that you want to be here. Um, and maybe that you're carrying a lot that I don't know about. And then the second thing is, uh, giving people freedom to change because though we do, we don't want to expect them to sometimes those old family patterns are because we put people in the position that they were in decades ago in our lives. And we think they still believe what they said 25 years ago, and they have changed. Sometimes we like the change. Sometimes we don't like the change, but that is free will playing itself out in our world. God gave us each free will. And so we can change ourselves to respond better, but we have to give other people the opportunity to. And If we're combining that with believing the best in them, that means I'm going to give you another chance to show me the good that you can bring to this conversation. I'm going to believe that you've thought this through like I have. I'm going to honor you um, by respecting you enough, even if we come to different conclusions on a topic that I find to be important. And so it's looking for where are the areas of common ground? And then where are the places where I can really celebrate celebrate who you are or the choices you're making in your life that I'm really proud of, which may mean you still bug me. You still bug me, but you know what? I'm really proud because you're trying and you've made strides. And for some of us, you said um, that this might be a hard year. For many of us, we haven't been with our family in two years. So it's been like two years of seeing what people are posting online and thinking, oh my gosh, how are you this person? How are we related? And, uh, and so to then be able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just so grateful that God has put us together. That's a practice. That's a discipline. That's the humility combined with obedience to say, God, 
yes, yes to this person. Yes, even though, da 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 da, whatever it is, still yes. I love that. And I think um, as you were talking, I was thinking about how so many of these things are not, they're not necessarily, like they're not easy for us. They're not also the quick response we would have for people. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that um, I have found that has been helpful is um, this past season, my husband and I have been trying to do, he does it every day. I'm trying to do it as much as I can. Um, Phone-free walks. And Mm -hmm. just these walks where it is, I know it's revolutionary, um, but just walking and praying and listening. And what has happened in those times is that's the, we're creating space for God to speak and to sometimes um, both say something to our heart that is like, hey, remember earlier, like you mentioned messaging your sister-in-law, like, oops, I was, mm-hmm. you know, harsh. Because we we will say things that we shouldn't and regret and, come, you know, we'll have our in-the-moment responses. So as we spend time with God, and so again, this could be a walk, this could be early in the morning. I know when I am spending my time with God, that's like, there is always like, okay, conviction is here. These are the things I've said. These are the things I've done. And um, those are not, he's not bringing those things up to shame us or keep us stuck, but to give us an opportunity to forgive, to show grace, to apologize. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to share something that I think is going to be really backwards, but very effective. Um, and that is just to be if you're in a place that feels kind of tense, and again, I appreciate that Alexander has brought up, you know, not being in places that are really harmful or toxic, and we've been in those places before. Um, but owning your 1% and leading with apology. Because what happens is we are built to defend if there is any kind of accusation or even if we feel a sense of like threat, right? Somebody thinks differently than us in our our, um, I call it lost in translation where we hear something someone says and we don't actually hear the truth of what they say. We just, it gets twisted on its way to our head and our heart. So we are hearing something else. We're ruminating on it. We're creating this big case. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like instead when the opportunity presents itself where we create the opportunity to lead and say, can I just like, say, I'm sorry that, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we can generally always find a 1%. We can find this thing. What happens is the other person, their defenses go down. Mm-hmm. They realize, oh, okay, yeah, like if I, I will accept your apology. We don't have to explain it. I'm a big fan of just a full apology without a but here's why or here's Disclaimer. all the reasons. Yeah, yeah, this is what I was trying to do and I've I've also done that. But just a, a – and it, it may feel hard as it comes out of our mouth, but we – as we do that, it lowers their defenses and we're actually able to be in a place of either then engaging in a, a, a real conversation where we can say, yeah, we, we're both allowed to have different opinions here, but let's, the main goal I have in the end is reconciliation with this person and being kind of connected to this person because that ultimately is more important than the topic at hand. But I just want to kind of throw that out there because I feel like that's been, um, I love using the phrase game changer, but it's been a game changer for us in our marriage and friendships and family to be able to say, I don't, I don't actually need the validation of being right here. The main goal is reconciliation. I'm going to own my part and I don't, I'm not going into it expecting an apology or expecting understanding. But what that does is it really just helps you live in that place with a light and free heart. And then they get to do what they want with it. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, that's my little two cents on the crucial conversations heading into the holidays. Yeah, that really demonstrates that combination of humility and obedience. And like what you said, it gives people the chance to change, right? We're, we're kind of giving them that space. Um, I want to, um, sticking with the kind of looking, seeking the goodness. Can you unpack for me how confirmation bias 
is going to play a role in this as well. Well, I say from the very beginning that we tend to find what we're looking for. So, I mean, think about anything. You're buying a house. You're in the market to buy a house. All of a sudden, you see houses for sale everywhere. Um, when I wanted to be pregnant, all of a sudden I saw pregnant women everywhere. You know, you think you're going to get your hair cut a certain way. All of a sudden, everybody has their hair cut that way. So when you start uh, bringing to mind the things that you want to find or that you're thinking about, you're going to find them because they're out there. Good and bad is both available to us at all times out in the world. So when we determine, I am going to go into this conversation, um, looking for the best in somebody. I'm going to go into this conversation, finding what I can celebrate. I'm going to go into this conversation or this situation looking for where I think God is at work, which is good. And I'm going to join him in it. Then we're much more likely to see it. So right now we have (laughs) these weird logarithms that I don't claim to know a whole lot about, except that I know that when we click on something, it's telling the system, whether it's Google or Facebook or um, whatever, Instagram, um, the Nordstrom website, whatever it is, we click on something and that system remembers, oh, that caught her eye. That was important to her. She must like that. So it starts feeding us similar things. And our natural bent as sinful people is not necessarily to look for what is true, even though we are told to look for what is true. It is to look for what makes us feel good. And what makes us feel good is the strokes that we're right. Oh yeah, you're right. You were right about this the whole time. You you know what the real truth here is. And so we start reading things that feel good to us because they confirm what we already believe. And that's what confirmation bias is, is to that we start honing in on things that confirm what we already suspect to be true. And we're wired that way. And so we have to be very mindful of saying, okay, if I want to find the truth, I need to be open to God revealing it to me, even if it goes against what I have held to be true all these years about whatever. And that again, requires humility, trusting God to be God and obedience and saying, I'm willing to look at this and examine it. Now, that doesn't mean we're automatically going to change our minds. We may say, No, looking at the new information presented in front of me, I still stand by my conclusions. I come to the same conclusions. But sometimes if we're being honest in our search for truth, sometimes we're going to get new information that changes our perspective a little bit. Maybe it's somebody else's lived experience. Maybe it's somebody else's way of reading scripture. Maybe it's somebody else's... um, what did you call it when when you internalize something you've heard and oh lost oh, in translation lost in translation yeah. maybe it's somebody else's translation and it got lost on us but when we hear it how somebody else heard it we go oh i can see how maybe you would hear it that way which meant i was using my own filters to hear it a certain way and so again it's that humility and obedience and i don't want to just stroke my ego That's what sin would have me do. And confirmation bias strokes my ego. Now, do I not then read people that I already agree with? No, I I like reading those people. And I feel like sometimes they give me good points to help me back up why I believe what I believe. But I also need to be looking at other sources and other voices and other opinions in my pursuit of truth. And um, that can feel scary um, because we like to hold on to things so tightly. So, you know, we're talking about this in like big idea things, but it can be in parenting. It can be in our marriage, right? Like my husband and I have disagreements all the time where I believe one thing to be true and he believes another thing to be true. And then we come to the truth when we bring our information together and either one of us realizes, oh, I wasn't looking at it from that perspective. And when you say it that way, you're right. That is the more true way to look at it. And uh, 
<clears throat> and sometimes there isn't a more true way to look at it. Sometimes it, there's just mystery, which that is part of seeking out goodness is remembering that God is a God that is bigger than we can understand. And that there is an element of mystery that gets lost when we try to compartmentalize everything and everyone into a category. And to remember that I don't know is an answer and it's an acceptable answer. And I want to give people the freedom to say, either I'm still figuring that out, or I might not ever figure that out. I don't know. What I do know is, and then put in there what you feel confident God has taught you, or that you feel like scripture is clear about, or your lived experience has, has taught you. But um, I think it's rare now for people to publicly say, I don't know. I really genuinely don't know. That's so good. I also feel like as you say that, I'm like, oh, that feels relieving because it's exhausting to have to know it all and be right about everything. And mm -hmm. I've had this um, phrase ruminating um, in my spirit and I've something I haven't really shared about online I've thought about, but it's just this phrase, how is that strongly held opinion working out for you? Mm -hmm. And I feel like when we really begin to look at our opinions, we can see and try to see where they've come from, right? Mm -hmm. Like where's the history? Where did we first get that opinion from our parents or, uh, you know, conversation we've had, whatever. And being willing to open up our hands a little bit and say, what if I'm wrong here? Mm -hmm. Like what? Because we, this is an age where we love our opinions. And so I love, I always love using really silly examples. And so, um, I am currently drinking a cup of coffee that has oat milk in it. Mm -hmm. And for 15 years, I had coffee with half and half. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I love cream. Cream is the best thing in my coffee. And then last year, my husband and I did something called Whole30 where we couldn't have cream in our coffee for uh, 30 days. And I complained about it every single day. I whined. I was like, this is torture. Uh, but I also really had, I noticed some things in my body, like my skin cleared up and I, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe the dairy that I love so much is affecting me. And I tried a few different things and tried this oat milk and I love it. And now if I have half and half my coffee, I think, oh my gosh, this is so rich and heavy. Mm -hmm. And so that is where actually this phrase came from, where I realized I'd been holding on to this opinion about dairy. I love cheese and all of these things for so long. And I, it, I know where it was formed. And, um, but I thought, what if, what if this thing, this thing you're holding onto so tightly, what if it's actually hurting you? Like, what if it's actually not helpful? And so I like using the silly examples, but we, we do have those things in our life. And so it, it, it does take this, again, that's where I think going for these walks and having those quiet moments with God where it's like, hey, you're, God, you're a safe space for me to go to, to say, are there things I'm holding on to that maybe aren't true? Are there opinions? Are there judgments? Um, and so that's a place where he'll, he will let us know. He's always faithful um, mm -hmm. to allow us, again, the invitation, I think, to freedom. Yeah, I talk in the book about a phrase that someone, I wrote a story about in the book, used when she was describing her situation. And she said, we just got to the point where we were willing to give up the good for the sake of the best. And sometimes it, cream in your coffee, it's a good thing, right? Like when you were drinking it, it was good. And yet there was a better, there was a, a better option for you. And if you had said, no, for the rest of my life, I'm just drinking cream. That's it. That's it. It's the, it's good. And I'm not going to change. I'm going to stick by my opinion. You would have missed out on the other option. And so, uh, holding everything loosely and, and being willing to give up the good for the sake of the best, even the better is, um, something that is, is almost like 2.0, you know, because it really is humility and obedience saying, Oh God, but this okay, I'm willing to give this up. Doesn't mean God's going to ask you to give it up, but to open your hands and say, I'm willing to, 
if it will help me love you more or love my neighbors more. So good. Well, Alexander, thank you for sharing here. This has been such like a rich conversation, but also kind of hit some of those pain points, which I, I love because it gets me thinking. And again, it's those places that do draw me closer to God and to others. Um, Alexander's book, again, is Seeking Out Goodness, Finding the True and Beautiful All Around You. And where can people find your book and where can they find you? Uh, well, Amazon carries the book. Uh, there have been issues with Amazon, but I am trusting they are all worked out. All of these thing, paper shortages and supply chain issues. And, yeah. you know, like it, the world, we, we all impact each other. Things impact us, right? Who wouldn't, who knew that supply chain issues would impact this book, but it, they did anyway, Amazon. And, uh, and then my name, you spelled it earlier. It's my wacky name. You can find me on Instagram with that name or my website. It's just my name.com as well as the open door sisterhood podcast. They can yes. hear more from you right away. Well, Alexandra, thank you. Um, I love that your book is based on Philippians four, eight, and I'm just going to read it as we close. And I pulled out the passion translation, just something a little bit different. It says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind and fasten your thoughts. Isn't that such a good way to think about it? Fasten, like just attach your thoughts on every glorious work of God. And I trust this episode has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.